If you are caring for a person with autism, great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline. We hope today's conversation will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Autism Talk. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. I am uh, part of Autism Spectrum Therapies and uh, Learned Systems. We provide therapy services support to kids of all ages. Uh, you know, I specifically focus at AST on working with kids with autism. Um, we work with kids of all ages all across the country. And I myself am a board-certified behavior analyst, the BCBA. Um, I've been working in the ABA arena now for getting close to 15 years. We're about that 14 and change mark. Um, you know, been been actually getting to see a lot of different things, talk to a lot of different people lately. Um, got a chance to go recently to our local California ABA conference here, um, which is held uh, every February. So we just had it a few weeks ago at the tail end. And, uh, and also talking to a lot of people in different states. Um, been talking to a lot of people in, in uh, Seattle, in Chicago, uh, Baltimore, New Orleans, and you know, I, I've been kind of noticing this this kind of pendulum swinging, and it seems like it swings back and forth in terms of, you know, who's qualified to do what? You know, how critical is a behavior analyst like myself, a BCBA, um, and, and being truly involved in a program from a, a behavior point of view versus someone who has behavior training? And it's, you know, it's a really great area, but one of the things I've been talking to lately are people on these extremes, you know, obviously being at a Calaba conference, I'm, I'm with other people like myself with extensive training, extensive experience. And, you know, naturally there's that sense of this is the gold standard. The, the BCBA is something you have to look for. If you're going to have an ABA program, you want a BCBA and you want to make sure that they have the right education, the right training, et cetera. And then I've heard a lot of people kind of say, well, you know, I have behavior training and I've been in a classroom and I've done this and I've done that. And, and what I've really taken from it is that, you know, one is not automatically better than the other. And, and I'm thinking of a couple of people specifically I've met recently who, you know, they almost have both. They, they have a BCBA, but they have a, a lot of experience in front of a classroom. Um, teaching in, in public schools or at private schools or, or more of this group intervention. And I think one of the things that's really important for us to consider is not just do you have a certificate, because obviously being that I have one and being that I'm BCBA, I believe in it, but, but what are your experiences? I don't know if, if we always have the luxury or the opportunity to really question, is your experience does it match up with my child's needs? You know, it's, it's, it's very easy to say, well, I have 10 years of ABA experience, but is my ABA experience right for your child? You know, in my case, is my 15 years or, or soon to be the, the right 15 years of experience for your child's needs? I, I could have spent all my time with a teenager and you have an early intervention program. That might not make me the right fit. I could have done the opposite, spent all my time with early intervention 
and not be the right fit for your teenager. And I know a lot of you listeners are probably saying, yep, that that, that sums up what I see because that's a piece of feedback I hear a lot is, you know, there's not people in my community with experience providing intervention to teens. And so I feel like this is this conundrum dilemma that we have to get at is, you know, how do we make sure that people with certificates have the right training to meet the diverse needs of our population? And and how do we also make sure that there's opportunities to access services from well-trained people who maybe just don't have the right certificate or the right um, label associated with them based upon some how, how our funding structure is set up? Because that seems to be kind of it's it's an all or nothing we we open up the doors too wide to let everyone in not the people who are specifically trained or we say you have to have this label otherwise you can't do it and and that seems to kind of you know either limit us or open us up to be vulnerable to bad therapies or bad practices or just you know the wrong people providing therapy so you know, it's not something I have an answer to today, but I feel like it's something we have to be a little bit more open-minded to. And in the last three weeks, I feel like it's been nothing but all or nothing, regardless where I am, regardless whether it be in, in one discussion or the next. It feels like a, that there's only two sides to this, and I think we have to get better at creating some grays here to allow for people to have um, access, but access to good services. Uh, so today I'm joined by Marsha Shiner. Uh, Marsha is the founder and president of Asperger Syndrome Training and Employment Partnership, or ASTEP. Uh, ASTEP's mission is to improve the quality of life for individuals with Asperger Syndrome and similar autism spectrum profiles through suitable and sustainable employment. Ms. Shiner brings together her desire to support young adults on the spectrum transitioning into adulthood with her background in corporate America to advocate for competitive employment for individuals with Asperger's and to work with employers to hire this population. Before founding ASTEP, she spent 25 years in the financial services industry and a number of senior management roles. Marsha graduated from Wellesley College and has an MBA from Columbia University's Graduate School of Business. The role she values most, though, is being a parent of a young adult, a young adult son with Asperger's syndrome. Marsha, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, so, you know, why don't you tell us, like, what is ASTEP and, and how did it get started? Um, ASTEP is a nonprofit um, who, as you said, whose mission is to improve the quality of life for young adults with Asperger's syndrome and similar autism spectrum profiles through suitable and sustainable employment. And um, the way we got started was back in 2010, I was retiring from the financial services industry um, and knew I always wanted to do something in a role where I gave back. Um, and obviously having a, a young adult son at the time um, who was 19 um, and, and transitioning out of high school and into adulthood, um, this was an issue that I was really concerned with and I had a lot of passion for. Um, so what I did was in 2010, um, I spent some time uh, getting to know a number of people uh, who were involved in the world of support for individuals on the spectrum, particularly those uh, with Asperger's syndrome, trying to figure out what the burning issues were for this particular population. 
And it was no big surprise. Um, what I discovered was there were really three areas of major concern for young adults transitioning out of the um, high school and, and school-supported environment, um, that, and those were employment, housing, and relationships. I really um, looked at those three areas and said, well, I'm, I'm not a clinician, um, so I'm not going to go near the, the relationships issue. Um, I did not really want to be involved in the real estate world, so I said, okay, I crossed housing off the, <laughs> the list. And then I said, okay, employment. Um, what do I know about employment? Well, what I knew about employment was that I'd been employed for 25 years uh, in both uh, multinational banks and insurance companies wow. in senior management roles. And I knew a lot about how companies think, how they make decisions, and how you need to present to companies to get the decision that you want. Um, so I said, okay, how do I take this knowledge and translate it into something that can help this population? Um, and what I saw was that there was a growing number of organizations um, and programs, one, to get this population of young adults through college, um, and two, vocational uh, rehabilitation programs to try and help them find jobs once they got out of college. Mm -hmm. um, what I didn't see was anybody out there advocating with Fortune 1000 type companies about this population, why you should be hiring it, hiring these individuals, and why it's good for business to be hiring these individuals. Mm -hmm. And that was really the thought process behind creating ASTEP, which was to take my knowledge of having been inside these kinds of companies for 25 years and really use that to advocate for this population in a way that spoke to businesses. So, you know, just doing, listening to you, doing a little bit of research, just, you know, prepping for the show, um, this doesn't really seem like your average vocational program. I mean, just a little bit you've described so far, it's different than the two years I spoke, spent in the vocational world um, back in Massachusetts. You know, so how would you say, though, this is different than your kind of standard vocational training program or maybe job placement type of program that we have out there? What really distinguishes us is we are employer-focused. Um, you know, and I think in the vocational world, a lot of what I saw was most agencies take a very person-centered approach, which yeah. I think works really well for the individual, um, but that's one person. So, if you know, we've spoke to a number of the vocational agencies um, in New York City where we are located, um, mm -hmm. even though we focus nationally, and we've, we've looked at data, sort of a national data, and the placement rates... Um, are relatively low in terms of the size of the population of individuals on the spectrum, the annual placement rates. And, and, and that's because from a person-centered perspective, um, you get to know an individual well, sort of craft you know, what would be the ideal type of job for them, and then you have to go out and look for that job for that person. Um, and as I said, I think there are a lot of good agencies out there that do a very good job for the individuals they're working with. Um, but then what happens to the rest of the population? Mm -hmm. So we, we sort of look at it like we're, our job is to create, there's a tremendous supply, and our job is to create demand for that supply, um, whereas the vocational process isn't necessarily out there looking to get, say to employers, I, I want you to understand this population and come to me and say, I need to hire 10 people. Um, you know, yeah. it, it's really starting more with, okay, here's, 
here's the individual I'm working with. They're, they're highly skilled. They're talented. They'll be loyal. Um, how can we find a job for them? Well, I, I so think, it's really I mean, it's turning, it's turning the paradigm on its head, basically. I, you know, it's, it, I was literally just about to say that because I think the moment you said we're employer-focused, I, I was doing that kind of mental Rolodex of, I don't know if I've ever been in an employer-focused locational program. It's always person-centered. It's always, let me focus on this individual, and it's the placement piece that I think we've always stumbled on. And, I mean, just talking to um, to Christina, you know, who, who works on the show with me, before the show, you know, I was kind of joking. I was like, well, it's it sounds like this is a very different type of job placement than what I was doing where we were, we were, you know, working in these local businesses and you, you're talking about these big, you know, I think you said fortune 1000 companies. Like that's, it's kind of amazing. It's, it's a very different shift. Why, um, was it just your background that made you focus on these like larger companies or was there, um, additional motivation to really look so big? Cause I, I, I'm really impressed by how big you looked at when you when you think about some of the employers you're talking to. Well, I, I think part of it was my background. Um, that's mm-hmm. the world I come from, and I'm comfortable with. Um, and and but there's really a, a, a larger motivation there. And I, I guess I would I'll answer that by saying if someone said to us, "What would your what would wild success look like for you?" Well, for us, mm-hmm. wild success would be the unemployment rate for individuals with Asperger's and similar, similar autism spectrum profiles would be the same as the unemployment rate for the larger population. So mm-hmm. basically no, no distinction. And there's a lot of people out there. We estimate you know, there's somewhere about a half a million people within the autism spectrum that are you know, in the profile that we're focused on. Wow. And, and how are you going to make headway in really lowering what we believe today is somewhere between a 75 to 85% unemployment rate for this population. You got to focus on employers who mm-hmm. hire in numbers. So mm-hmm. for example, the big four accounting firms, they each hire somewhere between 5,000 to 6,000 students off campus every single year. Wow. If you took 1% of those positions and targeted individuals on the spectrum, that's 50 to 60 young adults a year per firm. Mm-hmm. So it was really, you know, part of the motivation is to really try and make a dent, a noticeable mm. dent in the unemployment rate for this population. And to do that, you've got you've to focus on the organizations that are out there that can hire in numbers. Yeah. I, I'm kind of curious, like what – you go to these companies, I have to assume that some of the people you're talking to, you know, they have these preconceived notions about individuals with Asperger's or individuals uh, on the autism spectrum. You know, how do you get through to them? How do you kind of get them on board with really opening their doors to this population? It, it, it's interesting. Um, I, I guess because of the incidence rates today, uh, we mm-hmm. call it the six degrees of separation in, in autism. It's almost impossible to go anywhere today and not end up talking to somebody who either has a child or a a niece or a nephew or a cousin Mm -hmm. or a brother or a sister who's on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So so from that perspective, one of the things that we have found is um, when we started, we had to do a lot less education about what is 
autism and Asperger's syndrome, um, mm-hmm. there still are a lot of preconceived notions of what that might be. Um, and one of the things we did is actually in our very first year, one of the companies we were working with said to us, you know, we work with organizations like yours all the time. Um, but before we do, we sort of like to have a better understanding of the population you represent. Um, so we created a program that we call our corporate lecture series. Mm-hmm. Um, we've held this uh, four years in New York, uh, once out in San Francisco in 2013, and we're uh, launching our first one in April in Los Angeles. And what we do is we go out and we put together a group of young adults, anywhere from 10 to 20 individuals who are either still in college or you know, four to five, up to four to five years out of college. Mm-hmm. And we put together a roster of companies. Uh, this past year in New York, we had nine companies who participated. And almost every other week, we take this group to a different company. Um, and they bring in some you know, recruiters and human resource and line managers, present about their company, talk about the job search process. And then we have them just spend time networking with the young adults. Um, And it's really a very powerful program in demystifying for these companies what it means to have Asperger's syndrome. Um, Almost without exception, afterwards, every company, the first time they participate, will say to us, wow, what an incredibly impressive group of individuals. Um, So that's one of the ways in which we go about um, dealing with preconceived notions or stereotypes of what it might mean to be on the spectrum. Got it. You know, I'm kind of on the flip side of this because, you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm I'm thinking to, you know, some of my former clients, a few individuals who are now uh, young adults in, you know, out there working. Um, I'm curious if, if there's kind of a, a bit of a concern or stigma on the other side, um, if you have any sense of the individuals um, who are getting the jobs, who you are placing, are they, as a result, um, maybe being more open um, about, hey, you know, I have a diagnosis, I'm on the spectrum, uh, being better at getting maybe support from like an HR department or something like that. Um, and the reason I ask is just I know some of my the people I'm thinking about have always been more guarded about letting people at work into this part of their personal life, you know, their diagnosis and some of their uh, unique needs. The whole issue of disclosure is a very hot topic for us. Mm. Um, you know, we we do not take a do or don't stance with any particular sure. individual, and we don't preach one way or the other because I think ultimately it's an individual's personal choice and comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, That being said, most of the young adults who come through our program, we would, if asked, recommend that they disclose. Mm -hmm. Um, And we would work with them to figure out when is the right time in an interview process or once you get a job to disclose and how to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that any individual who comes through us, by default of coming through us, is disclosed. Um, And when we we, bring individuals into our program, um, we're very clear about that, and we, you know, took clear about that and, re- and reiterate it in our orientation sessions, which are, mm-hmm. is the fact that if you're going to an employer with us, you are de facto disclosed. And if you're mm-hmm. not comfortable with that, we understand that's fine, but then this wouldn't be the program or the place for you. Um, it's interesting. One of the uh, companies we went to in uh, 
the lecture series that we had this past year, um, and actually it was our very last session, and in some ways I wished it was our first, they actually had one of their HR people there who had been a special ed teacher and taught students on the autism spectrum. And he did an incredibly wonderful discussion with the group about disclosure. Mm-hmm. and strongly encouraged the individuals to disclose and talked about from an employer's perspective why he found that preferable. Um, and we had a couple of young adults afterwards who had previously said, I'm not going to disclose, uh, come back to us and say, you know what, I think I need to disclose. Mm-hmm. And, and then we were able to work with them on how to do that appropriately. So, uh, you know, I, I think for many individuals, um, it actually helps rather than hurts. Well, you know, it's it's funny. We've actually had um, I, I've had a few um, HR departments, you know, vice presidents of HR from some pretty large companies, reach out to us to see can we come and do a presentation to their HR team on autism and Aspergers and just some of the some basics of, you know, what is this diagnosis. What are some things to keep in mind to when, when we go about supporting individuals? Because they realize they are not equipped always to help some of these adults that they're employing. They're, they want to employ people on the spectrum. They've seen some of the benefits, as, as you've started to describe, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about. Um, so it's almost interesting to see this willingness on the other side of things of HR, of HR department saying, we want to help our employees in a way that I don't think I've ever seen before. And it's only been in this last couple of years that I've started to see this. It's been, it's been very interesting. And that's something that we do with employers all the time. You know, yeah. we will go in and we do education and training awesome. exactly about what, it, what is Asperger's, what does it mean in the workplace, um, <clears throat> how might it present in the workplace, how you uh-huh. provide accommodations. And one of the things we talk about in relation to that is you don't need to have an employee who has disclosed to recognize behaviors that mm-hmm. may be related to a spectrum disorder. And, and, you know, we're very clear. We encourage companies, you know, very loud and clear. It is not your role to try and diagnose somebody. It is not legal to ask somebody if you suspect that they're on the spectrum, if they are. But you don't need to know those things to see certain behaviors and say, well, maybe this isn't um, related to an inability to perform, but mm-hmm. maybe it's related to something else going on with the individual. And here are some management techniques that I can use to try and help this person um, overcome the challenges those behaviors are causing and do well mm-hmm. in the workplace. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at the, at the end of the day, when employers will say to us, well, does it matter if someone discloses? Um, From a legal perspective, yes, it matters to the employer, but from how you manage them and how you um, structure the work environment so that they can be successful, no, it doesn't matter if you can recognize behaviors and know what kind of strategies work with those behaviors. Mm, Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's a great point. Um, Well, let's do this. We're right up about at our commercial break, so let's take a commercial break, and we're going to come back and talk more with uh, Marsha Shiner and talk more about ASTEP. Be right back, everybody. At AST, we recognize that every child is unique. 
We are proud to offer what we believe is the most cohesive approach to supporting your child's needs and goals at each stage. We have the elements you need to build the plan that is just right for you. One company, one team with one mission to support individuals and their families to dream and achieve their full potential. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-727-8274. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to All Autism Talk. Joined today by Marsha Shiner, um, founder and president of Asperger Syndrome Training and Employment Partnership. Um, you know, we were talking about all of these employer things, you know, the the benefits to employer. Um, we were talking about some of the, you know, the ways you kind of reach an employer. Um, but we actually haven't talked about, like, what you guys do when, like, when you get in there. You know, it's 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 really been more of like the, I guess to take an ABA term, it's more like the antecedent proactive stuff you do ahead of time. Um, you know, how does it work once you kind of get in there with an employer and and really you know have everything running? Well, what we offer for an employer is really a full service program. Um, in, in many respects, uh, we like to say to employers, think of us as another form of recruiting firm for you. However, rather than just sending you resumes to fill particular positions that you might be looking to hire for, we will come in and work with you in in a full-service fashion. And by that, I mean coming in and saying, where are you today as an organization in hiring people on the spectrum? Do you you actually have any employees who are on the spectrum that you know about that have disclosed? What kind of employer are you for people on the spectrum? Are you a good good place or are you not where you need to be organizationally to support this this population? Um, And then we can, from there, develop a plan. And that plan would include what we call the organizational preparedness, which is really all about education and training, Um, making sure that the organization and the people who will be managing and working with any individuals on the spectrum understand uh, what Asperger's is and and how it may manifest in the workplace and how you Mm -hmm. might have to accommodate someone on the spectrum. Then we'll actually look at the organization and say, where are the types of positions that you need filled that could be appropriate for someone on the spectrum? So again, going back to the employer-focused organization Mm -hmm. that we are, we're going to say, what jobs do you need filled? And we'll look at those and say, okay, these might, these could be appropriate for people on the spectrum. Maybe these aren't. Um, mm-hmm. And that could be because of the structure and nature of the job. It could be because of the location. It could be because it requires constant travel. I mean, all of those things. And then we'll actually say, okay, here are the, the positions that we think are appropriate, and we can now work with you to try and find individuals who meet the job requirements to fill those positions. And once those individuals are found um, and uh, work with an organization to how do you accommodate your interview process so that they can do their best and show you their skills and talents in a way that you Mm -hmm. can make an assessment as to whether or not to hire. And then once a hiring decision is made, to then make sure that the ongoing support is there to transition that person into work successfully. So it really is... um, 
from a vocational perspective, very much what a vocational organization would do, but again, doing it from the perspective of the employer with, you know, filling in um, the support that's needed for the individual. And, And therefore, what we do is we partner with organizations that support individuals. So mm. we've developed an extensive uh, database and network of vocational organizations, college and university support programs, both Asperger-specific and just general disability services nice. programs, uh, support groups, you name it, where you will find individuals on the spectrum with the profile that we might be looking for so that we have a network to go out through to find the individuals as well as finding someone who knows that person well and has been supporting them from a more clinical perspective mm-hmm. and therapeutic perspective to be there along with us as a partner to get them into the job and be successful. Now, I was, I'm glad you mentioned the other side of the partnership. I mean, how critical are those university parent groups, clinical programs. I mean, how critical are they to this to this all working? You know, that feedback you started to describe. Oh, they're they're completely instrumental to this being successful. <clears throat> um, you know, as I said, we are we're not a clinical organization. Um, yeah. we do not take we cannot take the time that is needed to get to know an individual in depth so that we can really advise an employer about the particular person, what their challenges might be, and the kinds of accommodations, and, and frankly, as well as the, the particular skills and talents that they bring that could be far superior to anybody else out there in the market. Oh, yeah. um, so it is it is really important for the relationship between that employee and employer to be successful, to have someone in in the equation who knows the individual really well and can be there as both a support to the individual and their particular manager um, over, you know, a reasonable time period until they get to know each other well and have developed their own relationship and dynamic. I mean, it's, I'm just kind of listening to how this flows and I'm, I mean, the amount of pressure to, to be a BCBA, to work with this population, to work on all these skills, like just like you said, you guys aren't clinicians, you don't have the time to dig into this. Like, that's how I feel about some of the placement of, you know, I've parented many times, where do you think he can work? How do we go about finding a job? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I know how to find a job in the ABA world but not in the maybe computer world or the, the accounting world. And so it, I, I just see you guys as such a huge resource to the, clini- the clinical side where I can say, let me give you a really good summary in depth of who this individual is, what their strengths, what their weaknesses are, what I think they can do really well, but then to have that support of, yeah, and here's where we're going to go with all this great information and, and work you guys have done. It's, it's awesome. Thank you. I, I'm I'm curious about the companies though. Um, shouldn't we've we've kind of talked globally? You know, can you share with us some of the different companies you guys work with, who um, who have been um, you know employing uh, your clients? Right. So um, <clears throat> we we have companies that have um, hired some of the individuals that have come through our program as well as a large number who have participated in our corporate lecture series. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have um, some companies who have um, 
also volunteer to do mentoring for our young adults and have done that as well. And they include companies like um, from the big four accounting firms. We have PricewaterhouseCoopers and Ernst & Young. Um, This year in our lecture series, in addition to those two, we had Barclays Capital, Turner Broadcasting Sports, um, LinkedIn. LinkedIn has been a big supporter of us for the past three years. Wow. uh, Quirky, which is a, a fascinating company. It's actually a, a little different from some of the others in that it's it's smaller. It's probably only about two, three hundred employees right now, but they are one of these sort of hot young um, tech-based product development companies that um, seems to be shooting off the charts these days. Um, Omnicom Media Group uh, is part of our our program. Uh, we've done training for Cisco, uh, who went and hired a couple of folks um, as a, and wanted the training as a result um, in order nice. to prepare the whole division where those individuals would be working. Um, so these these are really the types of companies. You know, on, on the tech side, we've had Cisco and Oracle um, participate in our programs, um, you know, and, and, and others. So we, we try to cut across all industries um, because one of the things we find is that, you know, while there are a lot of young adults on the spectrum who are interested in the STEM areas and, you know, lots of computer science and and techie types, we see, you know, a large number who are interested in working in museums and who have degrees in history and library science and English and are incredible writers and artists. Wow. Um, So we really try to put a broad... Um, range of employers in there because the the population that we see really reflects a very broad range of interests and skill sets. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I was wondering if it was a lot of STEM type of uh, employers, or or and and if there was the opportunity to do more of those artsy things. And, and I, it's it's always interesting to see how many kids in the spectrum. We kind of have this. Um, I think we all have our, our sense of, uh, you know, computers, technology, but I, I know a lot of them who love art or want to be writers or want to be involved in more of like the the human sciences. So it's it's awesome mm-hmm. that you guys have been able to penetrate that as well. That's it's incredible. Right. Well, for the for the series we have coming up in Los Angeles in April, <clears throat> the companies we have committed so far are Northwestern Mutual Life, um, big insurance company, sure. uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, which you keep hearing them a lot. They're a big supporter mm-hmm. of ours. Uh, Disney, um, Tatum, which is a um, consulting firm with a lot of uh, focused in healthcare. Uh-huh. Um, so the, you know, these are the kinds of organizations, and yeah, you know, we're talking to a few others, and um, you know, hope to you know have six or seven companies participating. Where's um, the? Uh, I'm jumping ahead as as I always do on the show, um, <laughs> but uh, but I'm, you know, we were talking about the event in in A in April. Where's that going to be? Um, it's going to be held on the campus of UCLA. Um, they, nice. uh, one of, one of the, uh, folks in their disability services, uh, group is on our advisory board, um, okay. and they've been big supporters and, and help us with this. Um, it's, um, going to be a, a half day session from one to four on April 15th. Um, okay. and if any, any of your listeners, uh, have young adult children who are, um, somewhere in that job search process, uh, when you do the contact information at the end, just let them know. We'd love to hear from them. 
Have you guys um, reached out to um, the the local regional center at all? Do they know about the uh, the conference or the the event? Um, we have reached out to about thirty schools, uh, you know, most colleges and universities, um, vocational agencies. I don't know if we have specifically reached out to the state regional center, Okay. Um, but we've reached out to some of the state-approved vocational agencies. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I'll... When we wrap up the show, uh, you know, I'm sure our listeners love all of this behind-the-scenes the talk, but I have one more contact for you that you may want to reach out to, which I think would be uh, a good supporter, especially given Great. the geography. So we'll talk about that. Um, you know, I have kind of one, I guess, one thought, question, you know, again, a little off-topic, and, you know, we were, we were joking a little bit about it during the break, Um but, you know, as I was telling you, I, I heard a little bit of sirens in the background and you hear those New York City noises. And, you know, one of the things that just immediately popped into my head is it's hard to navigate a city. And, and these are firms with jobs in big cities. And, you know, city life is very different than suburban life, very different than small town life. And I, I wonder how critical is it and and how much of a, I guess, a a make or break thing is it for everyone to be able to um, get around independently, you know, via transportation, subways, buses, driving? Um, you know, we, we work with national employers. Um, obviously, we're holding our sessions in large cities um, because that's where we can get, frankly, the largest number of individuals as well as the largest number of companies. Um, we do try to get the companies to think nationally when thinking yeah. about hiring individuals on the spectrum. But that being said, whether you live in um, a suburb in Ohio or you live in New York City, uh, for the positions that we tend to be focusing on with these employers, you need to be able to travel independently. And one of the few questions that we ask on our application form, um, which requires a, a resume as well, um, but wow. a very short application form is, can you travel independently? And, you know, at the level of positions we're talking about, um, employers expect their employees to be able to show up and, and leave and come and go um, really without intervention from from anybody else. Yeah. Um, and as, as I like to say to, to some of the uh, young adults who come through when their moms or dads come with them is, you know, that it's it's great that you want to be involved, but you can't go to work with them. Yeah. Um, so we, we need to know that there's a certain level of independence and life skills that will allow this person to hold down a full-time professional level position in a large company. Well, um, you know, and I, I was just going to say, it seems like, you know, I, I, I'm just thinking my own life. It's some days you work late and, you can't always call mom and dad to say, hey, by the way, I'm going to be, I just found out I have to work late. Come and get me an hour and a half later. You, you just need to be able to adapt and go with it to go with the flow of the job itself, I've, I've got to imagine. That's right. And, um, you know, some of the jobs may require you to report to one or two different sites. Mm. So, and it may not always be 100% set. In stone, and again, you know that that becomes an issue too when determining 
job fit for the individual. Got it. Um, so, so when we work with a company and they say, okay, you know, we were working at the company and we were looking at stuff and they have a program um, and you have to relocate to a different geographic location in, in the country or even outside the country every three years, every year for the first three years. Wow. That's going to be a highly unusual person on the spectrum who's yeah. going to be appropriate for that job. So, so we might, you know, that's when we would say to a company, this probably is not the right place for us to be focusing in terms of your hiring needs for looking for people on the spectrum. But, you know, they have a, uh, a shared services facility where the jobs are very much based in that one location. The hours tend to be very regular. And the um, kinds of job requirements and tasks tend to be fairly consistent over time. And we say, okay, that might be, that's probably the better place to start. So it really ultimately depends what the company needs, um, but also, you know, us in understanding the population of individuals that we've seen come through our program and that we have resumes of and, and understanding what level of flexibility those individuals can or can't handle. You know, you just, the the job you were just describing, that unusual one of, you know, you may have to be a different place every, you know, once a year, every, the first three years. You know, it kind of got me thinking, I know you guys are just started in 2010. Um, so, you know, in corporate America, this is, um, you know, only a few years is, is not necessarily a long amount of time, but, um, have you seen that um, the individuals who have been able to take advantage of the program, find these great jobs, are, are they seeing career advancement? Um, I'll, I'll be honest, it's too soon to tell. That's what I was wondering. Um, but, you know, we, <clears throat> when we first started, um, our first three years, we really focused on the education and training component with employers. Sure. Um, because what we found, the general reaction we found when we went to talk to companies in the beginning was, we know what Asperger's and autism is. Uh, we know we already have people on the spectrum who work for us. And quite frankly, we do a terrible job managing them. So we're not real keen to consciously hire more because we know mm -hmm. we're not prepared to do it properly. So it, it caused us to take a step back and say, okay, you know, we hear the message. Um, our our we're here to make you prepared. That's, mm -hmm. that's part of our mission and our goal. So we really spent a lot of time focused on that. Um, <clears throat> after the first three years, particularly with the companies that were, you know, in a repetitive fashion working with us, then we'd say, okay, they'd say, you know, let's take some students into our summer internship program. Um, it's, you know, it's a defined period of time. Yeah. Uh, there's, um, a little more flexibility in those programs. So let's mm -hmm. get some students rolling through that and see how we do. Um, and now the companies who are doing that are getting to the point of saying, okay, yeah, we think we've, we've got it. Let's, let's figure out now how we're going to hire in full time. No, so this, you know, when we, when I started this, you know, my view was this was at a minimum a 10 year process to get sure. us to the point where we really could start to see, um, change in how the companies we're working with are operating. So we're we're about halfway there. Yeah, no, I, I that makes perfect sense. I mean, it's one of those things where, as I said, you know, I don't know what to. If I think about some of these large firms and companies you're talking about, you know, advancement takes a few years just to 
get your foot in the door, start with that role, do well in that role, have a position open up above you. You know, it, it's, it's a different timetable. You know, the, the reason I asked and what made me uh, think of this is the, um, the management side. You know, as you advance, typically you have to manage people. And, I, and I'm thinking, you know, the, the clinical hat comes on. The BCBA is talking now. Is, <laughs> is um, you know, I wonder how um, the different types of maybe trainings or um, the things that need to be done to help an individual. You know, we all know kids with Asperger's often have a hard time with perspective taking. And w- what a critical thing perspective taking is to management um, but I know so many kids who have learned that skill, who have excelled at that skill. Um, I could just see that being kind of like that next step of this evolution of, okay, great. We're giving you the clinical skills, but now let's really, as clinicians, emphasize perspective taking even more because um, I think you said it at the top of the show. It shouldn't be what – it shouldn't just be, okay, this kid got a job, that's success but like defining success on a broader level as you did for your son, like what is truly going to be a successful and let's strive for that. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just a really, I don't know, it just got me thinking about all the possibilities of where this could be 10, 15, 20 years down the road and the types of clinical impact this could have for, uh, for what we do ourselves. Well, I, I think too, the, the, the whole issue that we talked about before with disclosure has yeah. a major impact on this because if people disclose all of the companies we're talking to as part of any professional hires uh, process over time, they have development plans. And if an individual mm-hmm. has been uh, disclosed with Asperger's and knows the areas in where they need strengthening, um, they can get that kind of professional strengthening and training through their development plans with their employers. Um, mm. Every large employer has their own pretty much, you know, the XYZ company university these days where yep. you can um, take, sign up for courses, and actually most companies require employees to do a minimum amount of training each year. So employers will really are willing to provide that um, mm. if you know about it and you ask for it. And if they understand uh, any individual employee's challenges, they can help guide them in their development plan in the areas in which they need, they need strengthening and growth. Um, additionally, we talk to employers about certain jobs where they have continuous turnover. Um, they don't necessarily, they may not be jobs that are leading to a management path, um, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of individuals on the spectrum who'd be very happy in these jobs for a long period of time mm. and can be very proficient at them um, and will be happy to not have to make the change of taking on a new role and, and going someplace else. So we, we look at those types of positions as well. Um, and we also, we, we talk about the concept of, um, if you look at most job uh, descriptions these days, even for entry-level professional positions, they always, you know, they give you all the technical skill requirements. And then at the bottom, they have other requirements. And almost every job description says, excellent oral and written communication skills, team player, and leadership potential. Um, and, and mm-hmm. you know, we'll talk to companies and say, if you're hiring a staff accountant, do they really need leadership potential today? Do they need to be the most um, brilliantly articulate conversationalist? Not yeah. really. They need to know, really, really know their debits and credits. And there are 
avenues in your organization where they can continue to grow that don't have to put them into management and uh, client development roles. So we really try to get employers to think through and, and look further down the path and, and really think about the necessities of some of these um, traits that they seem to want to find in every employee. No, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, well, you know, we're actually pretty much out of time. Uh, I want to make sure people um, can find what you guys are doing because I think it's such a cool, unique program. And, and as I said, I don't know anyone who is kind of looking at vocational training in, in this way. Um, we talked about the event you have coming up in Los Angeles on the, in April 15th. Um, do you have any other events coming up that you can share with everyone, or is that the uh, big one? We, we will be running our uh, corporate lecture series program in New York in the fall of this year, and we will start okay. doing our outreach for that in probably May. In May. So okay. um, if there are people in the Northeast who are interested, uh, certainly um, they should contact us about that as well. And then where can everyone find you? What's the best way to find out um, – more about the organization, get updates, just kind of stay in the loop as to what you guys are doing. Um, you can read, you can go to our website, which is www.asperger-employment.org, um, and you can also email us uh, through the website or call us. Okay. Great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming to the show, talking about this great program, all the cool work you're doing. Um, as I said, you know, just hearing this different perspective has got it's got my mind kind of working in a few different ways of of how to change my clinical practice a little bit to to better prepare um, the students I work with. So this is this has been great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, thanks everyone for being here. I I really really love today's conversation. I feel like we were able to see a different perspective. You know, what, what ASEP is doing, I think, is just really different, as I said, from, from a focus of vocational training that I've seen. And, you know, we've had a lot of guests on the show, um, you know, thinking particularly of, of when Caroline Wilson um, was with us talking about, you know, how difficult it is to get penetration with the employers, to get them willing to create jobs for individuals with autism. And, you know, ASEP's program is really tailored to a particular end of the spectrum, but I think it's a really great, you know, model and, and, and beginning for us to start thinking about how we can expand this to a, the larger autism population. Um, as always, if you have questions, please email us at um, more info at autismtherapies.com. We'd love to hear what's going on with you guys. Uh, find out what questions you have, ideas you have. Always want to tailor the show as much as possible to you guys, the listeners. Um, also, take a look on Facebook. Um, we have our Autism Therapies, Autism Spectrum Therapies uh, Facebook page. I know that's where, where most of you guys tend to go, and um, we love seeing the different kind of posts that you guys have, the different ideas you guys have, and, and just kind of more than anything else, your successes, because that seems to be, uh, I think the most fun to, to post and share. Um, so I hope you guys have a fabulous uh, week that uh, you get into the spring and kind of ease into as our as our school year is coming to an end because it feels like it's going to end before we know it. Uh, all right, everyone, take care. 
hope you have enjoyed today's episode. For additional information and resources about autism, visit www.autismtherapies.com. Please join us each week for a new episode or visit our archive to listen to and download previous shows.